Today, the scripture I'm preaching on is the same scripture that we preached on last week, which I don't think we've done that in this congregation in a very long time. The same scripture two weeks in a row. And it's because we're going to conclude our short two-week worship series on the Matthew 25 challenge today. So I invite you to turn to Matthew 25, verses 31 through 45. You can follow along on the screens, or you can also follow along on the Pew Bible in front of you. Listen to God's word. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king answered them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you. Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the gift of God's word. Let's pray together. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When the Son of Man comes in glory, he'll gather together people from all the nations and then separate them like a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. I think sometimes for us when we read parables in the New Testament, they can be difficult to interpret at times. But sometimes parables are actually quite simple to interpret as well. And in the whole of Matthew 25, there's three parables that Jesus tells the people that are gathered, that that hear what Jesus has to say. And I actually think these parables are more on the simple side of things to be interpreted. Back in 2015, I taught a class here at Trinity on our spiritual goal statement, and one of the learning circles was on follow me. And after the second class, I invited the class to read the whole Gospel of Matthew in two weeks. 
So that was actually not that hard of a homework assignment, but to my amazement, when we came back two weeks later, everyone in the class did their homework assignment. It's not often that pastors give homework and everybody actually does the homework. And we had a very rich conversation that night, one of the best conversations I've had about biblical interpretation and trying to understand what Jesus was saying in the scriptures. And one of my favorite observations that came that night was from Bradley Schultz, who was sitting over there, but not sitting over there anymore. And Bradley then in 2015 was an eighth grader, and he said that night, he said, Matthew is really weird. There's all these really strange stories, things I've never heard of, like bridegrooms and bridesmaids from Matthew 25, and why are they filling up oil in their lamps or not filling up oil in their lamps? And I said, well, what do you think, Bradley, about Matthew 25, about that parable? Why do you think Jesus is talking about oil and lamps and bridesmaids and bridegrooms? And he just said simply, because we're supposed to be prepared for when Jesus comes again? And I said, exactly. It's not that hard, actually, to interpret that first story. Be prepared for Jesus coming again. Sometimes the most obvious interpretation of a parable is what God wants us to hear in those stories. That story about bridesmaids and bridegrooms at the beginning of Matthew 25 is followed up by another parable, the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the talents, perhaps you've heard of it, God gives his followers so much, and he wants them to use those talents, to not bury them in the ground and hide them. And Jesus provides the key for us in interpreting that parable, in which Jesus says, For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. After that story, we read our story, the one that I just read, about the parable of the least of these. And what I would like to suggest for us as we enter into the story again a second time is that the key to interpreting this story is to ask ourselves this question. How do we feel when we read this story? Can we feel our way through this parable? Don't intellectualize it, but can we feel our way into this story? And how do we feel when we read this parable that Jesus tells us about the least of these? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, he will sit on a throne of glory and the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as shepherds separate sheep from the goats. My sense is that when we feel our way through the story, we want to be counted as the sheep, right? We want to be counted at the right hand of Jesus, not the left hand. That's how I feel when I read this story. I want to care for Jesus and the least of these and be counted as sheep. Because Jesus, when he gathers the nations together, he will separate them when he comes and he returns. What I would like to do is do, just for a few moments, what we did last week in our worship service as well, which is to turn to those around us, and I'll, I'll give you two questions, two prompts for you to take a minute or two to talk to those people who are sitting around you. And these are the two prompts. One, how did the Matthew 25 challenge go for you? Did you see God at work this week when you did the Matthew 25 challenge? And the second prompt is, and if you did not do the Matthew 25 challenge, why not? Why didn't you do the Matthew 25 challenge? 
Maybe this is your first Sunday you've ever come to worship, so you have no idea what I'm talking about. And that's a perfectly fine, acceptable answer. Just introduce yourself to the person sitting next to you and, and talk to them for just a few minutes. So we're clear on the instructions. How did it go for you? If you did not do it, why not? And talk to your neighbors for one to two minutes. And then maybe if there's an inspiring story, I'll invite one or two stories from the congregation. Okay, go, break. Talk to the people around you. Maybe just one more minute, one more minute, try to wrap it up, one more minute. Does anybody have a story or two? Is there one or two stories from this week that somebody would offer that would like to share about how they saw God this week? Is there one or two stories in the sanctuary today of people that would like to share a story about how they saw God this week at work in the Matthew 25 challenge? It can be short. It doesn't need to be long, but... Did any of you experience God at work this week in the Matthew 25 challenge and you would like to share with the congregation? Hi, I'm Sally Stalzer and uh, last week I taught the children this in Sunday school and I just was so, I went away with such a wonderful feeling for this congregation because the kids told me how their parents, oh yeah, my dad, he'll buy groceries, extra bag of groceries at the store and give it to somebody who's on the street. And that's just touched my heart because these children see the example of what the community is doing here in this church. And I, I was really touched by that. And I thank God for that and for all of you for being good role models. Well, thank you, Sally. Amen. One more story? Does anybody else have a story? So I was sharing with some coworkers um, what I was doing and what Matthew 25 was all about. And um, one of the women that I work with had never 
um, heard of the Matthew 25 challenge, and so I showed her what I was doing on my phone, and she signed up for it for the week after Thanksgiving. Whoa, that's amazing, Carol. All right, I saw one more hand. Maybe we can do one more, one more back here. Hi, I'm Lucy Kalanithi. Um, I didn't know about the Matthew 25 challenge, but um, this whole week smelling smoke, I feel like has been a version of that for everybody in our community um, as a way to think about the people who are here who are suffering from a health issue, certainly people who have lost their homes. And then I feel like this week going through that experience has been a way to kind of reflect on anybody anywhere who's not breathing easily for whatever reason. Um, mm -hmm. So that's been kind of a, like, version of it, I think, for a lot of people. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing and talking to one another. I'm sure there's more rich stories out there, too, both for if you did the Matthew 25 challenge, but maybe if you did not also too, maybe there were some things going on in your life. And if I'm honest with you all, I did sign up for the Matthew 25 challenge and received all the text messages, but I didn't complete all the challenges this week. I think Pastor Mary was a better pastor than me this week in that way. She did them all and shared on Facebook about it, but, but I didn't do all of the challenges this week. And I think as if I reflected on this past week about why I didn't do some of the challenges, I found myself, partially what Lucy was saying, just the experience of the smoke this week and feeling a bit depressed about the realities in our community and what was going on in, in Paradise, what was going on in Chico, what's going on, and how we're affected by it, but it's only 200 miles away. But then I also had a bit more of a sadness, of a lament that happened in the midst of the Matthew 25 challenge. Every morning they would send us videos, World Vision would send us videos about children that were living around the world and the conditions in which they were living. And on Tuesday morning, there was a story about a young girl from Kenya. She had to walk six kilometers to fetch a dirty pail of water and a tea kettle and then bring that home. And that was her only access to water, was a dirty puddle of water. And watching that, it just felt depressing to think about that person's reality in the context of my reality of water, in which we have an elaborate system of hundreds of miles of pipes where water from the Hetch Hetchy delivers us some of the best drinking water in the entire world, and all we have to do is turn the tap. And here we have beautiful, amazing, clean drinking water. And that was depressing for me to think about the gap between the realities of rural Kenya and the life in which I live here. But perhaps there was also another lament that I experienced as I paid attention to these stories throughout the week while I watched these YouTube videos. And one of them, the lament that I experienced was that so often persons from the developed world, the world in which we live, try to help people in developing nations. But as we try to help people in developing nations, Sometimes, and more often than not, we end up harming people in those developing nations more than we end up helping them. And it can feel really problematic as we dig into some of these stories. Have you ever heard of the Bolivian water crisis? In the late 1990s, the World Bank, which is a developed nation institution, gives loans to developing nations to try to bring them up into the world. 
And Bolivia received a loan from the World Bank. But one of the stipulations of receiving the loan from World Bank was that they would allow for privatization of water in their country. It would no longer be a public good, a public resource, but it would be owned by uh, companies and institutions. And one of the companies was a San Francisco-based company. That company built dams to retain the water, and then they controlled the distribution of water in Bolivia. So much so that two things stood out in this story about the Bolivian water crisis. One was that they increased the costs of access to water so much so that poor people had to spend one-third of their wages to get water. One-third of their wages to have access to clean drinking water. The second one was that as part of this process of privatizing water, the government decided to make it illegal to catch rainwater. It's not a joke. This was serious. The Bolivian government made it illegal to catch rainwater because they did not own it. It was not a public resource. It was owned by these corporations, and the distribution of it had to be paid for. It was a very troubling situation in which the developing world, the developed world, tried to intervene in the developing world in a way in which they thought would be helpful to lift up that country, but they ended up not lifting them up. As you can imagine, the people of Bolivia were outraged at this, and over the context of about two years, a year to two years, 1999 to 2000, the people protested against their own government, and they themselves were able to raise enough awareness of what was happening in the world to change this reality for them. They changed the reality for themselves. They were able to stop the privatization of water, and they were able to put power back into the hands of the people in which that was no longer their reality. It's an amazing story about when helping did not help, but they were able to reverse the tide, the people themselves. When the Son of Man comes in glory, he will separate the sheep from the goats. When we feel our way through this parable, when we feel our way into this parable, there is probably a sense in which that depression I was trying to share, maybe we feel some of those feelings as well when we wade our way into this story, when we feel our way into this, that maybe we're not so sure we're Jesus' sheep, but we want to be those sheep. Maybe we're more like the goats, but we really want to be the sheep. We want to be at the right hand of Jesus. Maybe some of you experienced that sense of shame or guilt this week as you watched some of those stories from Matthew 25. But what do we do with these feelings? What do we do with these feelings? And this is what I would like to suggest for us in the next few minutes. I really want to answer this question for you all and equip you with what do we do with these feelings of of shame, of guilt? Uh, Well-known author Brene Brown says that shame is a feeling, but it's really a lie that we tell ourselves, that we're unworthy of human connection. Shame is a feeling that tells us we're unworthy to connect with the people around us or connect in the with people around the world. So what do we do to get rid of these shameful feelings that we have in our lives? Years ago, when I was doing college ministry at the University of Washington, I promise I did talk about Jesus with those college students, but more often than not, I ended up talking about dating relationships with them because they're 19 and 20 years old, and that's what's on 19 and 20-year-olds' mind is studying and dating. One year at the winter retreat, 
we had different individual workshops where we broke out and talked about different things. And I was going to lead a small workshop on healthy dating for guys. And I thought maybe just five people would show up. And then 70 guys came into the room. And I had to make up a talk on the fly because I didn't have one prepared. I thought it was just going to be a small little group. We could just have a discussion oriented. And then it turned into a 70-person lecture in which I had to give my theology of healthy dating. Here's what I told them that day that I want to share with you all too, which I think really has to do with this idea of turning the tide on those feelings of shame we have, which is that what I ended up talking with guys a lot about in college and healthy dating was that when things go wrong in those dating relationships and the relationships we experience in life is that sometimes we jump in to try to fix the problems that maybe we cause. Maybe we've done something to harm the person we're in a relationship with and, and we've hurt them and we want to fix that problem um, but when we jump in and we try to fix that problem right away, um, we're not allowing that person, their ownership in the process, to, to let us know how they experienced it. So what I would try to tell them is, instead of going to fix the problem, go be vulnerable about who you are in the midst of what is causing the dysfunction in the relationship right now. Be vulnerable with your partner and just say, this is how... I did some things that were wrong, and can we talk about it? Because increased vulnerability leads to intimacy, and intimacy leads to increased trust. And only from a point of trust can someone really say, this is what will really help me in our relationship if you do this from now on, or if you help me with this. Only from that place of trust. And it begins with vulnerability of shedding those feelings of shame, becoming more vulnerable with one another, more intimate, and therefore having a more trusting relationship. Now, I think that can be an analogy for us when we think about the larger relationships that we all have as a church community with other ministries that we partner with in this world, with other communities that we partner with in this world, with the people we imagine to be the least of these as well, and what really is going to help them the least of these. Last week in our worship service, when Pastor Mary was preaching, she asked us this question. I don't know if you remember it, but she asked us this question. She asked, who are the ugly people, the ones in whom we would least expect to find Jesus? And then we did like what we did today. We talked with one another. I was sitting where Pastor Mary is, and I turned around, and there was a row of women from Hope House that were sitting there. Hope House, if you don't know, is a nonprofit uh, organization that's supporting women going through substance abuse problems. And it's an amazing organization, and amazing people go there. And they come and worship with us often. And when I turned around to them to talk to them, one of the women looked at me and said, Pastor, I do not understand the question. I don't understand the question. Who is so ugly that they would not have God in them? Who is so ugly that they could not have God in them? And they said, no, really, Pastor, I'm really confused. Like, who are these people? And I said, well, I could imagine someone in the sanctuary today saying maybe homeless people might be those people that are so ugly we would least expect to find Jesus in them. And they said, but that doesn't make sense. I have lots of friends who are homeless, and they have Jesus in them. And I just thought that was an example of trusting relationship between this congregation and Hope House. 
and they themselves trust and know our community in such a way that if they needed help from our congregation, we would be able to help them for the way they needed help. That we could come alongside them and help them the way they need help, not the way we assume that they would need help. The good news I have for you today, friends, is that this is a congregation that is truly blessed, truly blessed with wonderful mission partners. And I don't use that word lightly, partners in mission. They are our partners in mission. We share our life together. We support one another like Hope House. There are so many communities that we are partnered with around the world, and we do it by investing in relationship to find out what's actually going to help them so that they are like the, so that we can become like the sheep in this world. If you found yourself this week a bit depressed, a bit feeling like you want to be the sheep, but this was a hard week for you, I invite you to come downstairs this week to learn about these partners that we have in mission. And if one of them stands out to you, pick that ministry and dive deep into relationship with them. Learn everything you can learn about them. Check out their website, make a personal connection with that ministry. And then once you've invested into that ministry, allow them to bring forth what's going to be most helpful for them, the least of these. Let's try our best not to make assumptions about what they need, but let that come forth from them. That's when helping helps. Jesus wants us to care for people in this world while we await his return, and we want to be his sheep, not his goats. Let's invest in relationship. Let's build trust with our partners so that helping will help them. When the Son of Man comes in glory, he will sit upon the throne and gather the nations. He will separate the people like a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. May we be those people who are his sheep at his right hand and receive eternal life when we come alongside and help the least of these and help Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray that the Matthew 25 challenge, that it would bear fruit in us. More than just the Matthew 25 challenge, I ask God that your loving grace would bear fruit in us and that we really would be those people that would be counted as sheep at your right hand. Help us, God, learn how to be vulnerable, to invest in relationship, and to build trust with people who are hurting around the world and so that we can be those sheep that you have called us to be, God. We pray that you would continue to meet us in this worship service as we continue to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.